0: Well, thank you to Pastor Connor Johnson. Just so grateful for our middle school ministry uh, and what they do for students to help them know and love God's Word. If you have God's Word with you, a Bible with you this morning uh, on your phone or a hard copy, I want to turn to Acts chapter 17. That's where we're going to be. I uh, welcome those of you online to flip in your Bibles there as well. Acts chapter 17. And it's that same topic of the Word of God that I want us to think about today. You know, you think about middle school students or high school students or young people today, and uh, it's pretty clear what they Dealing with. It's pretty clear um, the, the, the type of generation that's being raised up in the church and, and the unique challenges that they're facing. And there's a lot of things we could say uh, about the next generation and a lot of things we could say about middle and high school students, but when it comes to the Bible, uh, I think at least two things are extraordinarily clear to me when I look at the next generation. The first one is this, and this is a discouraging fact, but it is true and we should look at it clearly it's that Bible reading is decreasing that biblical literacy is plummeting. Having done student ministry for years at this church, there will be times where we reference something, and we'll be like, it's when Moses did this, and someone goes, who's Moses? And it's like, oh man, like you don't even know this. Like, like There's just such a decrease in biblical literacy, understanding, and reading. This has been a pattern and a trend that has been going on in our culture, in our nation, for a long time. A decrease in Bible reading. But then here's the other factor. This is equally discouraging for us, that the voices of this world are increasing, meaning for a middle schooler or for a high school student, they are hearing more voices into their ears than ever before. From social media and YouTube and television and their phones, there's more philosophies and ideas being pushed into their lives than ever before. The average young person today is hearing message after message after message of the world and its view and its philosophy of the world. And it's these two things, the fact that Bible reading is decreasing and the voices of this world are increasing, that make what Pastor Connor Johnson and our middle school ministry and our high school ministry and all of our student and children's ministry are doing so important for our young people, that they would be able to combat the fact that there are so many voices coming into their life with such little awareness of what God has to say. But then before we move on to the next topic, I do want to identify that what is true for the students in our church, what's true for young people, is also true for the rest of us. I don't want to stand here and pretend we don't live in a culture, in a nation, and in a moment where Bible reading has decreased, not just for young people, but for all people. There's been a plummeting of biblical literacy, of Bible reading, of reading in general, where people are engaging less with the word of God And that what's true for young people is true for every one of us in this room or online right now, that we are hearing more voices than ever before on the news, through your phone, through podcasts, through YouTube, through everything that hits your ears. You're hearing more and more and more. And it's those two factors that make us need to pause this morning. In fact, let me put it to you for those of you who learn better with a graph. Let me show it to you this way. Let's say over the last hundred years, this is basically true. Do we have the graph? Yeah, there we go. Um, The Bible reading is plummeting. That You see biblical literacy going down, that you see the awareness or the appreciation or the interest in the scriptures going down right at the same time that voices are multiplying. And if you look to the right side of the screen, you'll see a gap, and that gap constitutes a problem. That gap constitutes a crisis. See, for those of you who know the scriptures well, you'll know the first story of human beings in the Bible is the story of Adam and Eve in the garden Adam and Eve are giving a very clear instruction from the Lord about what they're to do and not do. And as they're operating in this world, they end up getting, they forget what God has to say. They get lied to by Satan who twists and distorts what he has to say. Their awareness of God's voice goes down. The other voices come in and the result from the Garden of Eden is catastrophe and disaster. And I want us to understand that that same pattern is true for us, that as Christians, Living in the 21st century, if we allow our interest, our awareness, our ability to know what God has to say to go down and to slide, at the same time that the other voices of the world are rising so much, that gap constitutes a problem. So much of a problem that I'll just kind of clearly say this right at the beginning, that the future of your faith, the future of your faith depends on whether or not you will listen to the voice of God. The future of your faith. This is what we need to know for every single one of us. That if we want to thrive as Christians and step into the power and the purpose and the life that God has called us toward, that will depend on whether or not we hear the voice of God over and above all of the other noise that's happening in this world. This is true for you. It's true for your family. It's true for your children. And if it's true for each of us, then it means it's true for our church as well. As we talk about our 2030 vision, looking forward as a church about who we should be, this statement is absolutely the case, that the future of our church will be determined by whether or not we listen to the voice of God. That is what's going to shape our future. Whether or not we are the type of people, as a church, as families, as individuals, who are able to hear the voice of God over all the other noise going on in this world. And if it's that mission critical, if it's that important, that's why our elders, our pastors, our leadership here at the church has been praying and seeking God's face and what he would have for us in the coming years as a church. And this is the sentence that's been developed, and this is one of the core pieces of the Calvary 2030 vision. Today, we're going to talk about where we believe God is leading us in this particular area with this sentence that we believe that by the year 2030, we must deliberately elevate our love for God's word. In a world that is filled with noise and people who want your attention and want your heart, want you to listen to them, we believe the one we must listen to above all is the Lord our God who speaks. Now this word elevate is intentionally chosen because it applies to each and every one of us. Uh, I imagine there's some of you who are listening to me this morning and you never read the Bible. You're not even sure if you believe in the Bible or if you even like the Bible and the call for you is to go from not reading the Bible at all to at least exploring it. Maybe there's others of you who know you should read the Bible. You've actually maybe had a pattern of quiet times or Bible reading in your life, but that's slipped. And you want to engage more, but you know you haven't. Our goal is to raise up and elevate your love for God's word. And then there are some of you here who would say, I do a quiet time every day. I know the Bible. I love the Bible. Brian, I've got this one nailed. No, you do not. All of us are called to elevate our love for God's word so that 10 years from now, every person in this room, every person online, every person who calls Calvary home would love their Bibles more than they do this day. That's the call for us. That's where we're going. That's where we believe God is calling us to go. We put it this way, that as we see a church, the church we see is the church that is filled with people who are deliberately, intentionally, and consistently elevating their knowledge of and delight in God's word. This is the vision we have for our church. There are some other pieces you're going to hear, some important things in the coming weeks. But as we start to think about 2030, we want to be clear on this point that we are going to elevate our love for God's word. And I want to show you what that means in Acts 17 this morning. So if you have your Bible or if you have a a, a digital copy or you want to see it on the screen, we'll start in verse 10. It says in Acts 17, 10, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. So let me set up the story if you don't know the flow of the narrative in the book of Acts. Paul comes to faith in Jesus Christ, and he becomes a missionary, a church planter. It says the two of them would go into a city, and here was their pattern. They would go into a city, and they would seek to plant churches and baptize believers and introduce the city to Jesus. But rather than just walking around randomly declaring things about Jesus, they would always go first to the Jewish synagogue, The Jewish synagogue is the place where people knew the Old Testament scriptures. They believed in the God of Israel. And they would go there and they would say that you believe in the God of Israel, so do we. And we believe he has acted decisively through the Messiah, the Christ Jesus. And he has redeemed his people Israel and offered salvation to the entire world. They would talk about the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus and people would come to faith. This was the pattern for Paul and Silas as they went on their missionary journeys. And here they've entered into a city called Berea, and they've entered into the synagogue. And then it says in verse 11, it says, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. And if you're going, what what happened in Thessalonica? Well, just read the paragraph before that in Acts 17. what you'll see is a group who does not appreciate Paul and Silas coming in talking about the resurrected Jesus. They get chased out of town. That's why they have to come at night. They're chased out of Thessalonica. That does not go well, but then it says that those in Berea, The Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. And then it says this, For they received the message with great eagerness. With great eagerness. With enthusiasm. With excitement. The way they received the message of God was not just an intellectual thing that they started to agree with, but rather there was something happening in their heart as well. It was going through their mind, but it was experienced in their heart. And when we talk about deliberately elevating our love for God's word, I want you to know that it's that kind of enthusiasm, that kind of excitement, that that kind of great deal of emotional fervor. We want to have that when we turn to the word of God. Like our goal is not just to look to the scriptures as a sort of encyclopedia about God. So many people, when they think about the Bible, they think this is just a list of facts about God. And I want to affirm that that's true. There are truths about God in here. The Bible is our final and inerrant authority on what is true about our God and true about us and true about salvation. It's the final word. And yet at the same time, the Bible is not simply an encyclopedia of facts about God. And praise God for that. Because if it were, it would give us no strength throughout the day. Listen, you have never read an encyclopedia. Some of you have actually never read an encyclopedia. You've read Wikipedia. But you have never read Wikipedia and like finished an article and been like, I am ready to take on the challenges of the day. It's never happened. Why? Why? Because it's not the word of God. The word of God, yes, is going to tell us great truths about our God. And at the same time, there's this eagerness, there's this enthusiasm, there's something that happens in our soul. And the way we want to describe it is this way, that the goal of Bible reading is not just knowledge, but also affection. Not just a knowledge of the word, but a deep kind of affection we have for the word of God. That when we open up our Bibles and we sit down to actually read it and we experience it, we're not just learning things in our mind, but something is being moved deeply in our heart. I want you to see the way the psalmist says it in Psalm 119. It says, says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. See what the psalmist is saying? The words of the scripture aren't just information for him. It's not just data points or facts about God, but there's something sweet and enjoyable about reading the word of God that stirs him deeply. And I want that for each of us. It's like this, in 2010, my wife and I began dating. uh, And later that year in the fall, um, she was a student at Pepperdine. uh, And as a student at Pepperdine, she got to study abroad for a year. And so she was gonna study abroad for a year in Switzerland, which I was super excited for her, but not super excited for the long distance part of the relationship. Uh, but we decided, okay, we're going to try to make this work. And so we had an email. We could call each other. We could do video chats. But one of the things we decided to do throughout that year was to write each other letters from time to time. And I didn't know when the letters were going to come or not. And so sometimes I would open up the mailbox, and sure enough, there it was. A handwritten note from this woman I was falling in love with. And I would go into my house, and I would read the note, and I would read it all the way through. And I'll tell you what I didn't do. I didn't read the note, go, that's good to know. Throw it away and move on with my day. That didn't happen, and why didn't that happen? Because I wasn't reading that note just for information. I wasn't just trying to figure out things about her. There was something about that note that I held precious and dear. I held on to those notes, not because I couldn't get the information somewhere else, but because the note was precious to me because of who wrote it to me. I loved the person who wrote it, and because I loved the person who wrote it, I loved the note itself. And that is the exact type of affection and posture that I want to have when I go to the Word of God. That I go, I love my Jesus and I adore my God and I worship him and he has written this book for me. He has written this book for my benefit. And when I read it in some mysterious way, his Holy Spirit is interacting with me. See, that's what we're after a kind of affection for the Bible where we would say with the psalmist, How sweet are the words of the Bible to my lips, sweet like honey to the taste. So here's what it is, if we simply have a knowledge of the Bible but it does not move our heart at all, we miss out on something. I'll say it this way, the Bible knowledge without affection is not fruitful. That if you simply know a bunch of facts about the Bible but it doesn't change your heart and it doesn't cause you to worship and fall on your knees before your God, it is not a fruitful kind of Bible study or knowledge. In the life of Jesus, he interacts with the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law. They know the Bible better than anyone else, and yet their lives are not fruitful in the way God has for them. They're not accomplishing the purposes that God has put into their life, because Bible knowledge without affection is not fruitful. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 8. He says, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to, but whoever loves God is known by God. That if we simply know knowledge and Bible facts, it'll puff us up but we won't actually be able to build up the church. If your whole goal is to win the Bible trivia game, to win the sword drills, to be the person who knows the most Bible facts, you know all the things about the Bible, but it doesn't change your heart. You've actually missed out on what God has for you. And the way we want to disciple this church going forward is that we would not just know the Bible, but that we would have affection for it. It goes on this way in verse 11. In the back half, it says, they received it with great eagerness, but then I want you to see it. And it says, then they examine the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Like they're doing like a morning Bible study, quiet time, every single day to see if what Paul said was true. So on the one hand, we want to have an affection for the Bible. We want to have this deep emotional experience with the scriptures to know that this is what God has for us. This is his word. He speaks and we can hear it. And at the same time, we want to follow the model of these Berean Jews who are studying the scriptures daily to find out what's actually true. Because when we study the word and we understand it deeply, we can know what is true about God. We can know what is true about us. We can know what's true about this world. We want to enjoy the Bible. We want to have affection for the Bible. But we also want to have a deep kind of understanding about the Bible. And here's how these two things connect. Because I just believe this with all my heart, and I know some of you have experienced this, that Bible enjoyment requires Bible study. If you want to enjoy the Bible, you've got to understand the Bible. And the more you come to study and know and deeply understand the word of God, the more you'll actually enjoy it. Like, let me put it to you this way. So um, I wanna confess something to you when it comes to my musical skill in this life. I have absolutely no capacity whatsoever to play the piano. None. Can't do it, never taken lessons, probably never will. This is a profound mystery to me. I sit here, and I look at this, and I can like, like, uh, okay, I don't know that, and sometimes I'll tinker around, and if I'm feeling real fancy, I'll do, right, one of those. But that's really all I got. And when I sit here at this piano, I'm overwhelmed, because there's so many keys, I don't even know how many keys there are. There's white keys, and black keys, and pedals at the bottom, and I'm supposed to use the, no clue how this goes. And so if you told me, hey, every day of your life, I just want you to go play the piano, I would be overwhelmed, I wouldn't know what to do, I would be mystified by this. But here's a question I have for the room, I'll ask you to do a show of hands, not a trick question here. How many of you at any point in your life, including childhood, ever took piano lessons? Okay, all over this room, quite a few of you. And so even if you took lessons and hated it and never wanted anything to do with it, I promise you would actually enjoy this more than me. Because you know how the keys work, and you know the pedals, and you know what you're supposed to do with your hands, you actually understand something about it, and so you can enjoy it. But then take a Josh Green who sits at this piano each week. He's going to enjoy it even more than most of us. Why? Because he knows it. He understands it deeply. In fact, he could play it with his eyes closed because that's how deeply he knows and understands this piano. It's the same way when it comes to the word of God. See, see, the great danger for so many of us is we think we want to read the Word of God. And so we just flip it open to a random page and we hit Ezekiel and we have no idea what's going on in there. And so we panic and we close the Bible and we move on. And we just throw up our hands and say it's too confusing. But the way we come to enjoy the Bible is by understanding the Bible. It's to understand chapters and verses and Old Testament and New Testament and gospels and epistles and what's the difference between prophecy uh, and narrative and how does this all work together? It's to understand language and culture and it's to understand the purpose of the scriptures. So when we come to understand the Bible, it's no longer this mystifying thing to us, but it's something we know and enjoy because we've come to understand it so deeply See, I said before that Bible knowledge without affection isn't fruitful, but it's also true to say this, that Bible affection without knowledge isn't faithful. If we just have affection for the word, and we just kind of know a few verses, and we just kind of like the Bible generally, but don't know what it actually has to say, we will not be faithful to the call of God on our lives. What do we want to do? We want to fuse together as a church an affection for God's word, and a knowledge of God's word. Uh, I want you to see it in Psalm 119. It says this, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Do you see the affection there? I love your law. It's all I think about. I think about the word all day. I just think about what God has to say. I meditate on it. And then it says, Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. So we just saw affection, but then in the end of the sentence, we see knowledge. He, He has insight. He meditates. He knows more than even the people who are supposed to be teaching him. And that is the fusion we are talking about when we talk about deliberately elevating our love for God's word. It is affection and it is knowledge brought together in our love for God's word. That is what we mean when we say this sentence, that we believe by the year 2030, we must deliberately elevate our love for God's word. I want to help us understand this this morning a little more practically. Um, I want to try to answer the question, what does this mean for our church? Um, Because it's actually pretty easy to get up and give a sermon to be like, we should all read our Bibles more, and everyone goes, amen, and then we don't. So I want to try to answer that question. One of the ways we've answered that question, if you were here last week, you saw this magazine. They're available at all of the exits, and for those of you online, it's available as a PDF on our website. But you can grab one of these vision magazines Our elders have read through this, approved this, said this is where we believe our church is and where we're going and what God has for us. And I'd encourage you, if you haven't grabbed one of these, to go ahead and take one on your way out. If you weren't here last week or you just didn't get it, or if you lost it, we'll give you a replacement copy for free. But to grab one of these magazines... And there's some confusion going around. We have two yellow books out right now. There is the small group material that's for those of you who are working through with your small group. And then this is a separate magazine that just talks about our church as a whole and where we're going. I would encourage you to pick one of these up on your way out. And right now, I just want to give you the cliff notes of what we believe God is calling us to do, what this practically means for our church. So let me give you three things I believe this means that our leadership is working toward in the years to come. Number one, we will launch the Calvary Bible Institute to train our church body to know and love the word. Our intention. Yeah. Um, there are classes and sermons and Bible studies and groups that happen throughout Calvary, and those will continue to happen. Uh, but what we believe one of the steps we need to take in intentionality is to formalize the process of teaching people to know and love the word. Our intention is to launch an institute that is internal to Calvary, meaning it's not a college, we're not building dormitories, we're not trying to do something to attract people from around the world. We are building a formal process in-house where people in this church and in our community can come to understand the word deeply. We'll do courses like Old Testament Survey or New Testament Survey, courses on the Gospels or on prophecy or on the book of Revelation. We'll do courses where we're al- we can all lean in together and understand the word at a deeper level than ever before. Uh, I could very easily see that in five to ten years, there are hundreds of people at Calvary who have a certificate from the Bible program of the Calvary Bible Institute. It's something we're excited about. It's something we're looking forward to building over the years. Um, but I also want to let you know, it's not something that's just going to show up next week. It's something that we're going to slowly build into. We have ideas and thoughts on how that might work, um, but I want you to know this is something that's going to be primarily spearheaded by our senior pastor, Sean Thornton. Uh, As he talks about stepping into this teaching pastor role in the years to come, this is one of the things he is so excited to do to help spearhead this Bible Institute um, so that Calvary can be this place where people know, hey, if you want to get to know the Bible, that's the place to go. Uh, and so Sean is going to be doing that, Pastor Sean will be leading us through that and helping us shape and build this Bible Institute. And I want you to know that your first opportunity to lean in with what will become this Bible Institute is actually going to start in just a few months in January. Starting in January, Pastor Sean's going to start teaching a class um, called How to Study the Bible for Yourself, How to Know the Word of God for Yourself. That's going to be on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock. This will be how we start to build this. And maybe in the fall there will be more classes and we'll add more faculty and start building up this Bible Institute. But the first opportunity is for you to be a part of this class in the new year. Um, If you don't really know how to read your Bible or you've tried and it hasn't really worked out or you're just trying to reignite that love for God's word, I encourage you to consider this class You can sign up online. It's totally free at calvarywestlake.org slash Bible. Uh, You'll see resources and opportunities to lean in on that. But I want to encourage you to do that as we begin to build out the Calvary Bible Institute and believe that God is calling us to raise up a generation of people who know his word and listen to his voice above all other things. That's number one, launching the Calvary Bible Institute. Number two, we'll create a comprehensive Bible study resource library for our church. That'll mean physical tools and digital tools. One of our desires uh, is to pull together the many resources that are out there. I don't know if you know this, but you have never lived in a better time to have resources to understand the Bible. There are like limitless options of books and sermons and audio podcasts and of PDFs and internet resources. There are so many things out there that it can actually kind of become overwhelming. And so one of the things we wanna do is start to pull together resources that we trust here as a leadership to offer to you. That can be physical, that can be digital, but when we go through, for example, we just did the book of Esther, many of you walked through with us on that, um, that we would be able to offer commentaries and books and additional resources for you to continue to build your knowledge of and your affection for God's word. So you're expecting to see that, we're going to be pouring time and energy and resources into that in the years to come. And then finally, we will work to double the percentage of Calvary members who engage with the Bible on a regular basis. Uh, We're going to try to figure out what the baseline is here, but our desire is to double that And we believe that if double the amount of people are reading the Bible on a regular basis, God will do something mighty in our midst. And that's what we're going to shepherd toward. It's going to work toward. You'll notice up there on the list, it says, we will launch. We will create. And then the last one says, we will work. Meaning, we're going to shepherd in that direction. But as much as Pastor Sean or myself or any of our leadership would love to control what goes on around here, we don't actually have control of anyone but us. But we are going to shepherd in that direction. With our children and with our students and in this room, we are going to shepherd in the direction of trying to encourage you and resource you and challenge you to know and love your Bible like never before. That's what's coming in the years to come. We're going to see God move in this place and we're going to see each of us raise our level of love for God's word. Again, from the person who never reads it to the person who's been reading it for decades, all of us have an opportunity to elevate our love for God's word. I want you to know this doesn't start someday in the future. This starts right now. It's every day we have the opportunity to elevate our love for God's word. I want to invite you even as we roll out of this weekend's service to think about, okay, what are some things I could do to elevate my love for God's word? We started creating that resource page. You'll see it up on the screen, calvarywestlake.org Bible. This is an opportunity for you to find Bible reading plans and resources and groups that will help you along the way. You can type in the URL or uh, QR codes. QR codes were kind of dying, like they were a thing of the past. And then the pandemic hit and suddenly restaurants threw out all their menus, right? And it was the only way you could get anything. You can actually aim your phone at these screens here and pop up calvarywestlake.org Bible. It's magical. It works amazing, right? But that's what you can do. You can go on there. You can find classes and small groups, men's and women's groups that you can lean in on to learn the Bible together. You can find our take five. Some of you don't know, we produce a daily devotional it an opportunity for you to read the scripture and hear a little devotional from one of our staff and to pray for five minutes. That can be emailed to your inbox every single morning so that you wake up, you pick up your phone, and the first thing you see is the Take Five devotional. You can find the link to sign up for that or to view those devotionals at calvarywestlake.org Bible. One of my favorite things that's up there right now is um, a 90-day Bible reading plan. Do you know that there are 92 days left in 2022? 92. And so for someone here who doesn't have a Bible reading plan, isn't really sure where to start, I want to encourage you not to do what I call the lucky flip, right? Where you just kind of like open the Bible and hope it works out for the day. The people who really come to know and love the Bible have a plan that's laid out that they just kind of systematically work through and see what God does through that. And I want to encourage you, if you do not have a plan right now, to do the 90-day Bible reading plan. There's 92 days between now and the end of the year. You got two free makeup days, totally free, and so I'd encourage you to go on that website to find some things. You can also on that site sign up for this class. Pastor Sean's going to be teaching uh, at calvarywestlake.org Bible. You can sign up for the class. You can find resources. I think there's something for all of us. Uh, parents, there's resources for you to figure out how to do devotions with your kids. Maybe Bibles you could buy for very young kids or for older kids. Opportunities out your ears there. I encourage you to do that. And then let me give you one more way. Uh, that we can help deliberately elevate not only our love for God's word, uh, but the love for the word of God around the world. As we've launched Calvary 2030 and talked about so many of the things we believe God is leading us to in the future, we have found that there's one thing that stirs the hearts of our congregation more than anything else, uh, and that thing that has stirred the heart of our congregation and caused more excitement and buzz than anything else is the simple fact that donuts have returned to the lobby, All right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I now, mean, listen, I am as pro-donut as it gets, okay? Um, I, I love a good donut and have had more than one this morning. Um, so, but, but 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 here's what we're doing, and, and, and some of you missed this the other week, um, the donut Donuts are back in the lobby, and here's what we always say, the donuts are free, Um, and and yet Um, as you give money and donate toward those donuts, um, it's an opportunity for you to give the Word of God to people who don't have the Word of God in their language and don't have the ability to access the Bible. We live in a country where you can get a Bible easily on Amazon, two days, shipping to your house. You can get one at any store and find it, Uh, but there are places in the world where it is really difficult to find a Bible. And so every time you give to the donuts, you are giving toward these uh, Farsi-speaking, Farsi-language Bibles uh, that are distributed throughout the Farsi-speaking world, particularly in Iran, Uh, and if you're watching the news at all, seeing what's happening in Iran right now, there's just so much that's being shaken right now, and when things are being shaken, that's where the Holy Spirit of God loves to come in and do great work. And so every time we give, every time we have a donut, you can throw in a couple bucks for a donut, but if you say, I want to give 20 bucks, if people have thrown hundreds in there and said, just give Bibles away. That's the opportunity we have to have a donut, to give the word of God, to elevate and raise what God's word is doing all throughout the world. So I invite you to think about it. What is your next step at calvarywestlake.org slash Bible? Or, uh, of course, getting yourself a donut after the service. All right, verse 12 says, As a result, many of them believed. Also did a number of prominent Greek women and Greek men. So, so this is a fascinating sentence for me in scripture. Because the first part makes total sense to me. They're reading the Bible, and then they come to believe in Jesus, which makes a lot of sense. Like, as people start to understand who God is and what he's done, as they read the Bible and study it, they come to faith in Jesus. But then don't miss the second half of the sentence. It said, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and Greek men. So you've got these Berean Jews who are reading the Bible, and they're coming to faith in Jesus. But then you've got these Greek men and Greek women who aren't reading the Bible, but they're coming to faith in Jesus, too. Like, think about it this way. People over here are reading the Bible, so people over there get saved. This is a remarkable thing. It's a remarkable thing for those of us who want to see people in our lives, friends and family members and colleagues and neighbors come to Jesus, that when we read the Bible in here, people over there get saved. Or if I could put it to you this way, here's the pattern we see in the New Testament, and we see it now today, that when our love for the Bible goes up, the message of Jesus goes out. That's what we believe happens. Like, as we elevate our love for God's word, there are going to be people who meet Jesus. And this is a remarkable thing. Like, let me put it to you this way. Um, So I want you to think about this light for a second over here. And uh, there's nothing particularly spectacular or fancy about this light, but imagine I wanted to light up this room. I could re-angle the light. I could tap on the bulb, make sure it's screwed in properly. I could re-engineer the whole thing. I could raise it up. I could raise it down. If I wanted to be really fancy, I could paint it and do a cool design on it. But here's what everyone in this room knows. Everyone knows it does not matter how clever or how interesting I am, it does not matter how much my engineering skill is there, if this light is not connected to a power source, it will never accomplish its purpose. If this light is not connected into the power, it can never actually do what it was built and intended to do. And I want you to know the same thing is true for your life. Do you know that God has created you on purpose and for a purpose? And God wants to use you and your family and your life to impact this world, to lead people to the love of Christ and God in Christ, to, to bless people, to encourage them, to let the kingdom of God be built through your life. God has a purpose and a calling on you and on your family. And God has a purpose and a calling on us and our church. And it doesn't matter how fancy our ideas are or how smart we are or how clever our arguments are. Until we are plugged into the power source, our lives will never accomplish God's purpose. And the same is true for our church. Like it doesn't matter how many cool ideas we come up with or marketing campaigns or ways we do church different, unless and until we are connected to the power source, we will never accomplish the mission that God has for us. So here's what we believe. We believe we must plug into the power source and that power source is God's word because the word of God gives power to the people of God to accomplish the mission of God. That's what the Word of God does. It creates the power for us to fulfill the mission God has given us. You will never accomplish the mission and the purpose God has put in your life until you are connected to the power source. You will never accomplish the mission God has given to your family, and we as a church will never fulfill what God has called Calvary Community Church to in this time and season until we are connected to the power source. But when we do, the light shines in the darkness, right? And there is plenty of darkness out there. And yet we want to be a church that shines that light in the darkness. I'll put it a different way. We want to be a church that makes sure the valley, this greater Caneo Valley, that the name of Jesus is the banner that flies over it. That's what we want for our church. We don't want anyone to be able to live here long without hearing about Christ Jesus crucified for their sins. That's what we believe God has called us to and the only way we'll have the power to actually accomplish that is when we plug into the power source and the power source is the word of God, that the word of God gives power to the people of God to accomplish the mission of God. Isaiah chapter 55 says this, God says, my word that comes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose of which I sent it. I want you to know this about the word of God. When God speaks, things happen. When God speaks, reality changes. When God speaks, he is effective and powerful. And when the word of God rises up in our church, the message of Jesus goes out and we see revival. We see God move in power. So I want you to see the final verse we're gonna look at this morning. It's a bit of a twist ending, maybe not the ending you'd expect to this story. It says in verse 13, but when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, Agitating crowds and stirring them up. So people are coming to Jesus. People are knowing the word. It's this exciting, dynamic time. The church is being planted in Berea. It's all good news until this moment. People hear that the word is being preached. People hear that Paul is actually communicating what God has to say. And it says that there is resistance that comes up against them. Suddenly, crowds are being stirred up against them. They're being agitated against the early church. I want you to know that this is the pattern throughout the book of Acts, and it is the pattern throughout church history, and it will be the pattern here at this church if we do what we believe God is calling us to. I want us to understand this clearly, that if we elevate our love for God's word, we will invite opposition. I don't want to just say, hey, we're going to love the word of God more, and everyone just feels good about that. I want us to look clearly at the truth that as we elevate our love for God's word, there will be resistance. There will be people and forces in this world that do not like that. You ask, what are these people? Who are these forces? It's the same three forces that always stand against you and me and your family and everything you do. It is the world, it is the flesh, and it is the devil. The world will hate that we love and elevate our love for God's word. The world will hate that. The world will call you names if you become a Bible person. The world will say you are old-fashioned and narrow-minded and stupid for believing that ancient old dusty book. The world will mock you and belittle you and call you all sorts of things to try to throw you off what God has actually said. Your flesh will hate if you begin to read and know and love the Bible. The flesh is that part of you that is still stained by sin and that is still needing to be redeemed by God and his Holy Spirit. The flesh is the reason that every time you try to go to sleep, you're restless and you can't go to sleep, but every time you're trying to go to sleep and you pray, you fall asleep right away. The flesh is that thing inside of you where you sit down for a quiet time and suddenly you think of about 175 things you need to get done that moment. That's your flesh, and it is warring against your love for God's word. It is the world, it is the flesh, and then let's be abundantly clear, our enemy, the devil, hates that we love the Bible here. He hates it. He wants us to love anything but the Bible, because he knows the word of God has power. He knows that the word of God will crush him. He knows that the word of God endures forever, and that when we listen to it, good things happen in God's kingdom. The world and the flesh and the devil will resist us, and yet we need to be a people who expect that opposition and push forward anyway. I found this so perfectly encapsulated in a story I heard about a year ago. We were in an elders meeting here at Calvary, uh, and one of our elders, Bert Overholt, uh, was doing the devotion that day. And he begins to share his story of childhood where he grew up on the mission field where his parents were missionaries in Brazil. And then in the 1960s in Brazil, there was all kinds of political turmoil going on. There were issues in the country, and it began to be this kind of revolution that started to frighten everyone around of what's going to happen next and what's going to happen specifically to their missionary family, what's going to go on. And as he began to share the story of how that moment of fear encountered the word of God, I just, in that moment, all of us in leadership just said, this needs to be shared with our church body. So I want to invite you to take a look at this story told by Bert Overholt, one of our elders here, about his interaction with the word of God and how God used that to shape his young life. Let's take a look.
1: Porque Deus amou o mundo de tal maneira. Hi, my name is Bert Overholt and uh, I grew up in Brazil where my parents were missionaries and it was a a wonderful experience Um, but one of the things that really stands out in my mind was in the early 60s uh, there's a lot of political turmoil going on in Brazil. There's four kids at home at that point. At that point She turns to us, because all four of us kids are kind of staring at her like, what do we do now? And Mom says, we need to pray. And we need to pray and acknowledge that God is here with us, and that He is going to walk each and every step of the way with us, regardless of what happens, that we know that He will be with us, and that He'll protect us. The next day, my father arrives at our house, and my dad sits us down in the living room and he goes, so I want to remind you of the books and the stories that we have been reading to you for quite a while now, but also a lot of stories of people being imprisoned because they were talking about Jesus. And that the one thing that kept coming out as they're talking about surviving in prison was the fact that they had memorized scripture and they were able to share those verses with each other. And so dad paused and he looked around to each one of us. He goes, so we're gonna begin memorizing scripture because we don't know what's coming. And we started at that point memorizing scripture. We memorized a lot of scripture, a lot of scripture. The whole book of Philippians, 15 or so chapters of the book is in Psalms and dozens and dozens of other verses The impactful thing for me is those verses and those passages that I memorized back then as a kid are the ones I still draw on today. Having that in my heart, God's Word in my heart, has been invaluable through all kinds of difficulties. And I know that my ability to stay focused on Jesus is because of having His Word planted in my heart.
0: Well, thank you to Bert. You you hear that story and and, and the phrase that just ring in my ears for so long is we didn't know what was going to happen. Were we going to get thrown out of the country or arrested and thrown in prison or something worse? We don't know what's going to happen, so we need to start memorizing scripture. What a great motto to walk by. What a great sentence to shape your life right now. Because I don't know about you, but I look around the world and I go, I don't know what's going to happen. Our culture, our world, our nation, everything is off the rails right now. It's crazy out there. It's wild out there. So what should we do? Should we panic or scream or run around like our head's on fire? No. We should memorize scripture. We should know the word of God. So many of you are parents or grandparents, and you're concerned from your children. You're concerned for the world or the culture they're growing up in. And so what should we do? We should teach our children and our grandchildren the scriptures. And what do we do as a church? With all that's changing and all that's going on and everything that's happening in this world, how do we stay faithful until Christ comes back to bring us home? The answer is the same. We know and we memorize and we treasure and we delight in and we care about and we focus on and we submit ourselves to the Word of God. That's what we do as a church. That's what we do as families. And that's what we do as individuals We allow the banner over our life, the defining sentence for us to be the words of the psalmist in 119 again, who says, I will not neglect your word. I won't do it. With all the voices in this world, with all the things calling out for my attention, with my phone buzzing and my TV blaring, with everything going on in this world, I will not neglect your word. I will focus on what you have to say, God, and I will know and love and elevate that love for God's word. So here's the question for every one of us who calls Calvary home. In the next decade... In the years to come, are you willing and are you ready to elevate your love for God's word? That's where God is calling our church toward. And as we do that, as we elevate our love for God's word, God will do remarkable things in and through this church as all of us grow together. I hope you're ready, I hope you're willing, and I hope you're excited to see what God does next. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak. You're not a God we have to figure out on our own or guess what you're like. You have told us through your word. So God, help us to be a people who are sensitive to your word, who listen to it and submit our lives to it. Father, for the person who doesn't even know that they believe it or doesn't want to engage with it at all, Father, I pray you would stir in their hearts a desire and a curiosity to open up that book. For those of us who have struggled from time to time to even have a consistent um, witness of the word or experience of that, God, I pray that you would bring that discipline. I pray that you would bring that pattern, that uh, healthy rhythm into our life. And for those who have loved the word of God for so long, for decades, God, I pray you would raise their level of love for God's word. Help us, God, as a church that has always believed your Bible and preached your Bible to be a place where each of us know it deeply and intimately for ourselves. God, I pray through that you would do mighty things just like you did in the book of Acts. We pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. Amen.